O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. Alleluia. The King ascendeth into heaven. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The King ascendeth into heaven. O come, let us worship him.
The Spirit of the Lord filleth the world. Alleluia. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Alleluia. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Rejoice before him. The Lord gave the word. Lo, he doth send out his voice, and that a mighty voice. O God, thou art terrible out of the holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord filleth the world. Alleluia. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Alleluia. The Old Testament lesson for the Feast of Pentecost is written in the 11th chapter of Genesis, beginning at the first verse. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. As the people traveled east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and lived there. They said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches to the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing will be withheld from them which they intend to do. Come, let's go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there on the surface of all the earth. They stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. From there the Lord scattered them abroad on the surface of all the earth. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, beginning at the first verse. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came from the heavens a sound like the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Tongues like fire appeared and were distributed to them, and one sat on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under the sky. When this sound was heard, the multitude came together and were bewildered, because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, aren't all those who speak Galileans? How do we hear everyone in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them speaking in our own languages, the mighty works of God. They were all amazed and were perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. 
But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and spoke out to them, You men of Judea and all you who dwell at Jerusalem, let this be made known to you and listen to my words. For these men aren't drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Yes, and all my servants and all my handmaidens in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. It will be that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Alleluia, come, Holy Ghost, and fill the hearts of thy faithful people, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus answered Judas, not Iscariot, saying, If a man loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, 
and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. The word which you hear isn't mine, but the Father's who sent me. I have said these things to you while still living with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be fearful. You heard how I told you, I go away and I come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I said, I am going to my Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will no more speak much with you, for the Prince of the world comes, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father commanded me, even so I do. Arise, let's go from here. Here ends the Gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. And there appeared unto the apostles cloven tongues like as of fire. Alleluia. And the Holy Ghost sat upon each of them. Alleluia, alleluia. And they began to speak with other tongues the wonderful works of God. And the Holy Ghost sat upon each of them. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost sat upon each of them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the scriptures, many numbers have meaning beyond just being a number. For instance, take the number seven. It's the number we find in creation. God took seven days to create all of creation. And from that, the number seven in the scriptures is known as the number of completeness or perfection. Because after he created all of creation, God saw his creation was very good. Nothing was missing. And then there's the number eight. It's a number you can't avoid in Scripture. It's everywhere. There are eight people in the ark. On the eighth day after a boy is born in Israel, he was to be circumcised under the Old Covenant. David, who had the heart of God, was the eighth son of Jesse and the one chosen to be king. In the Gospels, our Lord rose on the eighth day on Easter. And today, Pentecost is the eighth Sunday of Easter. And in many churches, you'll also see the number eight on the baptismal font. It'll have eight sides. So if in the Bible, seven is the number of completeness, what then could the number eight mean? It's more than seven, one more than seven. But what could be more than completion? What's one more than completion? And well, whereas seven is the number of completion as seen in creation, the number eight means new creation. For instance, circumcision on the eighth day pointed to a new creation of the new flesh. The promise of the new creation and the promised seed and the spilling of blood. David was the eighth son. He was the new creation of the kingdom of Israel after unfaithful and the failed reign of Saul, which all points to our Lord, the true son of David, being raised on the eighth day on Easter. He was the first fruit of the resurrection and glory, the first fruit of the new creation, which is why eight people were saved on the ark, and there are eight sides on many baptismal fonts to show that the old creation is put to death in the waters as the new creation arises with Christ in his resurrection. 
And then there's today, Pentecost being the eighth Sunday of Easter, which shows us that today there is a new creation. The Old Testament and the Old Testament church are gone. Today is the new creation of the New Testament and the New Testament church in the blood of Christ. The eighth Sunday sees the birth of a new of the new church. And all of this is revealed to us in when and where Pentecost took place, how Pentecost happened, and what came from it. And the time and place of today's event is given to us right in verse 1 in the epistle. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, the disciples were all together in one place. Now, the timing of Pentecost is important for a couple reasons. First, Pentecost in Jewish tradition was celebrated as the day when Moses received the Ten Commandments, the law on tablets of stone. It was the day when the Old Testament church was created and born. So how fitting then that it is that on the day the Old Testament church was born, so also was the New Testament church born. But that these happen on the same day is not just to celebrate overlapping anniversaries. Instead, it's to show us that whereas the Old Testament church was born in Moses, was born in the blood of animals, was born of or in the law of God written on stone, you know, the law of God, which is eternal, never changes, which we can never satisfy. The Old Testament church was born out of all that. Well, the New Testament church born today is even greater. That's what it's showing. For the New Testament church is the church of God born again, not in the blood of an animal, but in the blood of Christ shed shed for us upon the cross. It is the church born again, not of the law, but of the gospel of Christ crucified, who fulfilled the law for us and the spirit which is given to us. Where the Old Testament church always sought for the Christ, it always sought for the Christ fulfillment, it always sought for a new birth and a new heart. All of that is what we in the New Testament church receive in Christ. We receive the law fulfilled. We receive the forgiveness that Christ won for us. We've received a new birth as a new creation in Christ. We receive a new heart of flesh to replace our old hearts of stone. So it's not just that both the Old and New Testament churches were born today. It's that on the day of Pentecost, the church was born anew in the blood of her Lord as a better and higher creation. And along with that, in the Old Testament, eight weeks after the Passover, the Jews were also commanded to celebrate what is known as the Feast of Weeks. This is the other meaning of Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks in Greek is Pentecost. It means 50 days after the Passover. That's when it was celebrated. And the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was a harvest festival celebration, celebrating the first fruits of the harvest of wheat which God gave to them. Which means Pentecost is a celebration of a harvest. It's a celebration of first fruits. Whereas Christ was the first fruit of the resurrection, here on Pentecost, our Lord lays the sickle down from heaven, and in baptism, Following Peter's sermon in this text, the first fruits of the gospel are harvested as 3,000 souls had their hearts circumcised by Peter's word, received baptism, and entered into the ark of the church. These 3,000 souls were the first fruits 
of the baptized, the first fruits of the new church on Pentecost. So then we see that with the timing of Pentecost, when it takes place, it's the celebration of the rebirth of the church in the blood of Christ and of the first fruits of this church as thousands were baptized on that day. And that's just like we who celebrate today the new creations of all you who were baptized, who are also part of the harvest of Christ's saints. Pentecost continues. We also see the significance of the new creation on Pentecost in the way that Pentecost happened. And so first notice how the gift of the Holy Spirit came. Luke says, They, the disciples, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This gift, which Christ had promised, did not come to the disciples through their hearts, their own hearts, or their feelings, or in any way inside of themselves. This gift did not come through some secret knowledge or by way of human reason like they figured it out on their own. It didn't come by some grand tower or a name that they made for themselves. No, this gift of the Holy Spirit, the text says, came from heaven, came from above. It came to the disciples from outside themselves. So it didn't matter how the disciples felt before. They could have been happy or sad, enthusiastic or depressed that morning. It didn't matter what worldly knowledge they had gained over their lives or failed to gain. It didn't matter what thoughts they had of their own that rattled around in their heads out of their own imaginations. None of that mattered because the Holy Spirit came from above, outside themselves, from heaven as promised by our Lord and proceeding from the Father. Just as baptism and the word and the sacrament of the altar come from outside of us and from above to us, That's also how the Holy Spirit came to the disciples on this day, outside of themselves from heaven. And then notice that the Spirit came as a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, in John chapter 3, our Lord tells us, The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it was with this wind from above. They could not tell where it came from before it came into the upper room. They knew it was from above, but they didn't know how it got there or where it went from that upper room after that day. And just like that, likewise, no one could tell before it happened that this is where the church would be born by the Spirit or that later, after Peter's sermon, 3,000 souls would be born again by water and the Spirit. But the mighty rushing wind, it did come. And the church was created anew in the water and blood from Christ's side. And so that the Spirit came in a mighty rushing wind is significant. Because whereas the church is created by the water and blood in Christ's side, the rushing wind here is what breathes eternal life into the nostrils of the church, where the bride of Christ was and continues to be made alive For just as you were put to death in Christ in baptism, likewise the Spirit, when you were pulled out of the waters, the Spirit, it was as if the Spirit breathed new life into you, into your nostrils as you were lifted up from those waters, with life as a new creation in the church. 
And just as the rushing wind filled that room with a mighty sound, so does the Spirit fill the church with life and the mighty sound of the gospel being proclaimed. But the Spirit didn't come just as wind. He also came as fire. Luke says, And divided tongues as as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now this, of course, is not a normal fire. It's a life-giving fire. It brings warmth to cold, dead flesh. It brings light into darkness. It softens hearts of stone so that they are replaced with hearts of flesh. It burns away and purifies our sin from us. It kindles us to life anew with its heavenly flame. And just as there is one spirit and one church, so there is one flame that came for all. But this one flame... This one fire was distributed and gave himself to each disciple and rested upon every head there in that upper room. Because the Spirit is given for the one church, the whole body. And at the same time, he is given to every member of that body. That is, the Spirit is given to the entire church here. But he is also given and is with all of us, each of us as well. So as we each live out our vocations as dad or mom, son or daughter, brother, sister, friend or enemy, boss or worker, as single, married or widowed, the same spirit is with us all, goes out with us all, as given to each of us in baptism, just as he was given to each disciple in the fiery tongues. But he's also with the whole church, giving all of us forgiveness of Christ, while also giving to us each of us individually, the graces of God, the talents which God gives us as he determines and wills. So just as there was one fire and many tongues, so there is one birth of the church, one baptism, yet many sprinklings of water as the Holy Spirit is given to us all. But still, we have to ask, Why did the Spirit give himself as tongues of fire? And yes, the disciples were heard in every language of the world spoken there in Jerusalem. That's significant. But is there another reason? And there is. It's because the gospel is spoken by being proclaimed by the tongue and heard by the ears where it enters the heart. Such a proclamation of the gospel by tongues is meant to persuade, not force. It's meant to create faith, not by the eloquence of human speech, but by divine inspiration, not by human tongues, but by a heavenly tongue, which comes from above. And look, look at the power of these tongues of fire, which comes to the church. They're powerful enough to reverse the curse of Babel itself. No human language can reverse the curse of Babel, but this, but these tongues of fire, they do. Now in Babel, man in his evil tried to build a tower to reach heaven, and in so doing thought he could earn his own righteousness in his own name. He tried to save himself by his own name. And for that, God, to keep man from even more depravity, was cursed with different languages, which created confusion and separation. But here on Pentecost, these tongues of fire bring righteousness from Christ crucified in heaven. And in his name and in his righteousness makes man one in Christ in baptism. These tongues dispel all confusion by proclaiming the word of God and makes a church in in Christ in his one language of the scriptures. 
Because even though there are Christians all over the world speaking many different languages, in worship, in the divine service, we all hear the one language of the gospel, and we all worship in one tongue of praise. But again, the tongues of fire persuade, but they don't force. And we see that with those who accuse the disciples of being drunk. And in accusing the disciples of being drunk, they reject everything the disciples were proclaiming about the mighty works of God. And instead, these men, they reject the disciples' word. And instead, they look to themselves, inside themselves, or for some hidden knowledge, or to human reason for their own salvation. They look to their own righteousness for their own salvation. Men of this sort reject the gospel. That's what they're doing here in Acts. They're rejecting the gospel and decide instead to remain in the confusion and separation in the curse of Babel, thinking that they can save themselves by their own name. But just like Babel, it's a curse. They can't. But to us who have had our hearts pricked and circumcised by the law of God, who have received the spirit and breath of life in the waters of baptism, and are given the heavenly flame to live in us as we live our vocations, to us is given the unity of the one church in Christ in baptism, where we eat from the one loaf and drink from the one cup in the one supper. For all of us baptized have received the one language of the gospel, which speaks to our shared dilemma that we need to be saved from our sins. It speaks to our shared need of divine grace from Christ that we receive from the cross in baptism, the word, and the supper. And as these are shared by all men and in all times and places, this need to be saved from sin, as it's shared, as it's shared by all men in all times and places, so the body of Christ now expands to all tribes and nations and tongues where one people are made in baptism. You are one people with the whole church of Christ from all times and places. Because of the birth of the church. Because of your rebirth and baptism. So all of this, where, when, and how the Spirit came down from above on Pentecost, all of this shows us the significance of Pentecost, this eighth Sunday of Easter. Because as we celebrate the birth of the church, we are also celebrating our rebirth and baptism, where that mighty rushing wind and that heavenly flame continue to be given in the waters until our Lord comes again. And as we celebrate, we look to remain steadfast in the Apostles' doctrine and fellowship, just like those 3,000 did. And in the divine service, after the sermon, we go to pray and break bread with each other, just as those 3,000 souls did that were saved this day. And we eat with them until our Lord returns again. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Show. 
mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O God, who did teach the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the same Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you, so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, 
show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Bless the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.